0: before we go to prayer i want to read a portion from psalm 34 a psalm written during a very difficult time in david's life when he was on the run from saul who was seeking his life we'll learn more about that in weeks to come our study of first samuel but the lord heard david's prayer and so he returns to the lord in prayer and says i will bless the lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Those who fear the Lord will humble themselves and go before the Lord in prayer with their needs. So let us do that now. Father, we bless you at all times. In difficult times, in good times, we praise you. Your praise shall be continually on our mouth. We need you, Lord. And we know that all we have is from You. So we praise You and we thank You for Your goodness to us. As You have been our help in ages past, we pray that You would be our help today as well. Help those in this church who are grieving. We pray specifically for Lisa Vance. That she would be near to her and the loss of her mother. That You would strengthen her and the things that are before her in the wake of her death. We pray for those who are sick, for those who are recovering from surgery, specifically for Joy Thompson. Bring healing to her body. Strengthen her heart as she turns to you in trust. We praise you that you have answered our prayers. For our prayers for Brian Schneider's cancer, we give thanks that he is cancer-free at this point. We continue to lift up others in the church who are battling cancer. We pray you'd be near to them, Bring healing to them. For Amanda Olinger, for Jan Steiner, for Judd Vance, for others, do Your work in them. And then through them, would they bear witness to Your goodness to them. We want to see and to taste that You are good, Lord. We want to be blessed as we take refuge in You and fear You. We also desire to show our fear of You in the way we live our lives. And so, with the psalmist, we ask that You would help us to keep a close watch on our tongue, on our lips, on the things that we say. Help us turn from evil, but also to do good to others that we would be people who seek peace and pursue it so far as it depends on us. We want to fear You in what we say and in what we do. We also want all of the earth to fear the Lord, for all of the inhabitants of the world to stand in awe of You. And so we pray for the nations, particularly for the Brahmin people of India, Many think of them as so enlightened. But we know that without the light of the gospel, they remain in darkness. And so we pray that you would raise up people, workers for the harvest, who would carry the light of the gospel to them. Father, as we come to Your Word today, we do not want to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. We certainly don't want to sit in the seat of scoffers. So help us as we turn to Your Word to delight in Your law. Give us attention to meditate on Your Word day and night and even now. As we receive Your Word today, make us like a tree that is planted by streams of water. Help us to bear fruit in season and to prosper. We ask for the sake of Your name through the grace of Your Son. Amen. Well, if you would please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. Our last sermon in this series of proverbs one to nine i wrote a little bit about um, this proverb in my weekly email that i'm not going to cover in my sermon hope you got that Um, if you do not receive those weekly emails um, we would be happy to get those to you you can find more information on our website as to how to sign up for those weekly emails As we turn to consider Proverbs 9, I want you to use your imagination for a minute. Imagine that last week, you received two invitations to lunch. One invitation came in the mail on high-class stationery. It's an invitation to a banquet. At the finest dining establishment in all of Wichita. A five course meal will be served with locally grown greens, prime beef, and wine pairings. The other invitation was a little different. It didn't come in the mail. In fact, you saw it stapled to the telephone pole as you were walking your dog. It reads, Taco Tuesday, half price tacos and beer. It's not exactly a restaurant. It's more like a kitchen on wheels. They don't always pass the county health inspection, but man, are those tacos tasty. Fresh tortillas, pork, hot off the spit, pickled carrots, and ice-cold horchata to watch it all down. Which invitation are you going to accept? I know what I'm going to pick. It'll be tacos on Tuesday for me. I'm not a big fan of fancy restaurants. I frequent burger dives and mom and pop shops. They're less money and more exciting. And they're tasty. The food goes down so well. But it doesn't always sit so well, does it? It's not very healthy. Maybe I should take a little bit of the money I'm saving on these taco dives and invest it into some more life insurance. (laughs) Proverbs 9 is an allegory. Wisdom is seen as a noble patroness. Folly as a pretentious hostess. Both issue invitations to a meal. Both call the simple to turn into their house and to eat. But these meals are held at very different venues. And they offer very different menus as well. Both menus sound appealing. But the food at one will kill you, whereas the food at the other will give you life. We've heard much of this already in our study of Proverbs 1-9. to The rival voices, the call to turn, the very different destinations of death and life. So it makes sense as Solomon is tying up his prologue to the book of Proverbs that he would end with this allegory of these two women. It also makes sense that he would end with a really strong call to respond. But one of the things I want you to notice in this passage is that it tells, not only calls us to respond, it tells us why some people respond favorably to Lady Wisdom, while others reject her. The rival invitations, the rival venues, the rival menus, they flank the passage at the beginning and the end. But at the heart of the chapter, we encounter what is at the heart of a right response to wisdom. We find the key that opens the door to the venue of life. And we also see why some prefer dives and diners that lead to death. The heart of this passage holds up a mirror to our hearts. Are you ready to see what is there? Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To the man who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injuries. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive, and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, this passage begins with wisdom's invitation to our banquet, the banquet of life, and it ends with Folly's invitation to her dive of death. In both, there's a call to respond to the invitation, but it's really in the middle that we see why some respond favorably to wisdom's invitation while others reject it. So to divide our time this morning, I'm gonna lump the beginning and the end together, compare and contrast the two invitations. Then at the end, we will consider the response. The two invitations in this passage have a lot in common. They're organized almost identically, but there are some critical differences to them as well. So I'm gonna begin with the similarities and then we'll turn to one major difference. The first similarity is the audience is the same. And in the second, we see that the aim or the goal is the same. Let's start with the audience. Notice that both wisdom and folly call to the undecided. Verse 3 tells us that wisdom has sent out her messengers to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Leave your finger there on verse 3 and look at verse 14. We see... Folly also takes her seat on the highest places of the town, the same language. And then in verse 16, she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. The exact same phrase. Both invitations are addressed to all in the town who are simple. We've seen throughout this series who the simple are. They could be defined as the uncommitted. It's not just that they're dull in mind, it is that they are uncommitted. People who have not yet decided which path they're going to take. Will they walk in the way of wisdom? Or will they walk in the way of folly? The simple are not those necessarily who have rejected consciously Wisdom at this point in their life. And they haven't cast their lot with folly either. They're still riding the fence. As we said in the very first week of this series, the undecided, the simple, are often youth or young adults. But that's not always the case. In our day, we have a lot of delayed adolescence going on. Am I right? But that's true spiritually as well. So the address to the simple, it certainly applies to those of you in this room who are young. But it may apply to a number of others as well. But here's the thing. It's not always easy to know if someone is uncommitted or undecided. They may be sitting in the pews of the church, singing hymns with the rest of us, going to Sunday school, even serving in the nursery. Notice verse 15. Folly calls out to those who are going straight on their way. In the rest of Proverbs, we see that the straight way is the way that the wise walk on. But just because they're walking on the way that the wise walk on does not mean that they are wise. It does not mean that they have made up their mind, that they have moved from being simple to being wise. Some of you here today are in this category and you know it. You know you're undecided. You haven't made up your mind. Others of you here today are in this category, and you don't know it. You've heard the way of wisdom. You've heard the Gospel. You know the basic things that the Bible teaches. Some of you may even know a lot about what the Bible teaches. But if you're honest, you've always got one ear open to the voice of folly, to the ways of the world. They sound pretty good. You haven't quite decided where you'll land. You certainly are not sold out for Jesus. You haven't picked the venue or the menu just yet. If that's you... You need to listen up today, but here's the thing that you need to know today, both wisdom and folly, both God's word, as well as the voice of this world, they are calling today for you to make a decision. And that leads me to the next similarity between these two invitations. It has to do with wisdom and folly's aim or goal in the invitation. And it is this. Both call for a decision. So they both call to the undecided, but they're calling for a decision. Notice in verse 4, wisdom calls out and says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Leave your finger there and look down at verse sixteen. Folly two calls out and says Whoever is simple, let him turn. In here. That word turn is a call to change direction in your life. To move from indecision to decision, to move from uncommitted to committed, and neither Lady Wisdom nor Woman Folly want you out in the street anymore. They want you to come in their house and to eat. They want you to leave your gypsy life to pull up your stakes, and to put down your roots with them. But here's the thing. If you don't decide to turn into one of these houses today, you've still made a decision. Your indecision is a decision. You've decided through your indecision to stay outside of Lady Wisdom's house. And you've basically staked your claim with woman folly. Jesus says, whoever is not with me following me as my disciple is against me now why do I mention Jesus in Proverbs chapter 9 well remember what we learned last week lady wisdom points to Jesus and while the things we learn in Proverbs give us wisdom about the way to live our life in fact this chapter is inviting us to dig into the rest of the book, chapters 10 to 31. They do give us wisdom about the way to live your life. Before you can learn how to live your life, you have to come to the one who gives life. You have to come to Jesus, the wisdom of God, and decide that you are going to follow him no turning back and the only way to come to jesus is to turn you have to change direction you have to accept his invitation to dinner you have to decide look at verses five and six wisdom's word her call she says come eat of my bread and drink of the wine i have mixed leave your simple ways, and live and walk in the way of insight. It's a very instructive verse. It's the pattern of a right response to the invitation of wisdom here in Proverbs, which is the pattern of a right response to the invitation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin and you turn toward Jesus. John 6, I believe, is intimately related to Proverbs 9. In John 6, we learn that Jesus is the bread of life. He came down from heaven and died on the cross for His people's sins. Jesus says in that discourse in John 6 that you have to eat His flesh and drink His blood if you are going to have life. I believe that that means that you have to believe that you are a sinner. That you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. His body was broken for you like bread. His blood was spilled for you like wine. And if you want to have eternal life, you have to come to Him. You have to eat and to drink In other words, you have to believe. But that's not all. You also have to leave your simple ways and live to walk in the way of insight. This is the language. This is a picture of repentance. A life of repentance involves two things. You turn from your sin, as I've said, into Jesus. You have to walk in the way of insight as well. It's not just getting converted. It's not just walking an aisle or praying a prayer or making a decision at one point in your life to use the language of the Great Commission. You have to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. That's walking in the way of insight. Eating and drinking. Leaving your simple ways our Proverbs way of saying, repent and believe. This is the right response to the invitation of wisdom, the right response to the gospel. There's so many in the church who agree with all that I'm saying. They agree with the basic teaching of Christianity, and yet they remain uncommitted to Christ. Still riding the fence. They have one foot in the church, but one foot in the world. Lady Wisdom is addressing you today and saying, This won't do. Jesus, too, is saying, This won't do. You're being called to turn, to repent of your sins. And to embrace Jesus not only as Savior, but as Lord. And the reason why is because there is so much at stake. And that leads me to the main difference between wisdom's invitation and folly's invitation. Here's what we'll learn about the difference. One decision will lead to life, the other to death. The main difference... There are a couple, but the main difference between these invitations has to do with the menu. Both appeal to the appetite of the simple. They both offer something delicious to eat, but where one is delicious and nutritious, it tastes good and it is good for you, the other... As I said earlier, it goes down well, but it doesn't sit too well. It's delicious, but it's poisonous. It tastes good, but it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Wisdom has prime beef and fine wine on her menu, a meal fit for kings. And it's free for the taking, for whoever will turn and come in her house. Folly's food is not so fancy. It's only bread and water. But notice she promises that it too will be sweet and pleasant. Look at verse 17. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What's so sweet about stolen water? What's so present about bread eaten in secret? Well, you know what they say in the 21st century? The same thing they said during Solomon's day. Sex sells. Stolen water and bread eaten in secret is likely a euphemism for adultery. It's talking about another man's wife. Taken in secret. The stolen water could refer to easy money and the bread to easy women. But either way, the reason the menu of this venue is so appealing is due to the stuff that they're selling in the back. It's not what's actually on the menu. This is an invitation to a life of sensuality and materialism. Isn't it interesting? The more things change, the more they stay the same. These are still the things that are vying for our attention today. These are still the things that are keeping people from showing up to dinner at Wisdom's Mansion where she has spread a lavish table. Folly leaves out the fine print though, doesn't she? The pleasures that she is offering don't last. Look at verse 18. All her guests are in the depths of Sheol. The stuff they're selling in that back room, it leads to a basement full of corpses. Wisdom leads to life, folly, to death, and as we've learned in Proverbs, this is a reference to eternal life, to abundant life, and it is a reference to eternal death. So these are the two invitations. Hopefully you see how much is at stake. Let's turn now to the response in verses 7-12. to The choice should be clear, shouldn't it? I mean, as we've laid this out, what should people choose? They should choose wisdom over folly. They should choose life over death. You'd have to be a fool not to, right? But let's face the music. Just like some people choose Taco Tuesday over a banquet at George's Bistro. Some people choose the way that leads to death instead of the way that leads to life. But why? What's the key to the door of wisdom's house? Verses 7 to 12 are in the middle of this passage. In Hebrew poetry, sometimes the thing that's in the middle is the main thing, and I believe that that's what's happening in this chapter today and so that's why i want to end here these verses tell us why some people respond favorably to wisdom's invitation and others don't and are very instructive for why some people in our day respond favorably to the gospel while others don't let's begin in verse 7 Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. The reason some reject the invitation of the gospel is because they are scoffers. But what is a scoffer? We can look at a few verses in Proverbs to piece together a definition. In chapter 1, verse 22, It says, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And then the second line is instructive for understanding the first, right? So how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. Hate it. A scoffer hates the truth. They hate knowledge. Why? Chapter 15, verse 12 says, A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Or chapter twenty-one twenty-four probably gets at the heart of what a scoffer is. It actually defines it. It says this, scoffer is the name of the arrogant. The arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Scoffers hate the truth. They hate to be corrected because they are proud and they do not think that they need to turn. They do not think that they need to repent. So if you try to call a proud scoffer who doesn't think he needs to repent to repent, he will hate you because he loves his sin and he doesn't want to change. You may as well shake the dust off of your feet and go to the next town. Keep preaching the gospel until you encounter a wise man. It says, if you reprove a scoffer, he will hate you in verse 8. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. It goes on to say, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. What's the difference between these two people? Why does the wise person love the one who tells them to turn? What is it about them? It's because the wise person fears the Lord. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But we have to ask the question again, what is the fear of the Lord in Proverbs? We again turn to the parallelism within Verses in the book. Proverbs 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So those who fear the Lord must delight in it instead of despising it. Chapter 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And get this, and humility comes before honor. You see, as we define the scoffer and we define the wise person who fears the Lord, do you see the difference? The scoffer is proud. He doesn't see his need for wisdom or his need to repent, whereas the wise person fears the Lord, that is, they have humility before the Lord. They recognize that the Lord is God and they are not They recognize that they are sinners by nature and by choice and as a result of that, deserve death. But they also recognize that God offers life through Lady Wisdom. God offers life through His Son, Jesus Christ. To put it very simply, wisdom has the humility to say, I am in great need and Jesus is the one that I need. Then in humility, they come to Him and they eat. They come to Him and they receive eternal life. This is the key to the door to wisdom's house. The key to gaining life. A decision for Jesus requires a humble We saw where this all began. It's addressed to the undecided. It's calling for a decision. A decision that will lead either to death or to life. A decision for Jesus is the one that leads to life. But it requires a humble heart. We need to see our great need. And when we see our great need, here's the thing, we will be hungry for the food that Lady Wisdom offers. We'll be hungry to eat and drink, to believe in Jesus and live. We'll want that. But if we're proud and don't see our need, we will only have an appetite for folly's food. Can I say an appetite for destruction? As Axel Rose once said, It's all about your appetite. So let me ask a question as we close. What are you hungry for? It's important to say that there is more than one lifestyle that shows that you have an appetite for destruction. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, I'm not into the things that are in the basement of wisdom's house. But loving folly shows itself through more than simply choosing easy money and easy sex. In Luke 14, very interesting passage that parallels this one in so many ways. Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. A man who gave a banquet and sent out his servants to invite people to come and eat. Sound similar? But as he went out to make his invitation, people started making excuses. One man said he had just purchased a field and needed to go check on it. It makes you wonder if he had checked on the field before he bought it. Another man had just bought some oxen. Apparently his business was booming and he couldn't be bothered with a banquet. The last man had just got married. He was too busy with family to come to the feast. Do you see where I'm going? The men in this parable weren't running after easy money and easy sex, but they did have their priorities mixed up and they still had pride. At the end of the day, it's all a form of scoffing. It's all a way of saying, I don't need Jesus. So the man throwing the banquet sent out his servants a second time, this time to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In Luke, physical need points to spiritual need. The parable teaches us that the type of people who will respond to the invitation of the kingdom are those who are humble. They're the only ones that come in. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Who are you this morning? Are you still on the fence? Or have you made your decision? Are you a wise person or a scoffer? Humble or proud? Do you see your need for Jesus? If you do, it's the time of decision time to turn from your simple ways and live time to walk in the way of insight time to repent time to believe time to accept Jesus invitation to eternal life and time to surrender your life to his teaching and to his way let us pray Father, we know from Your Word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That a decision for Jesus and a commitment to follow Him requires a humble heart. But Lord, we can't manufacture a humble heart. May Your Spirit do... It's work on our heart, softening our heart, helping us to see our sin, to see our need, and to see that Jesus meets that need. We ask in His name, Amen.